0: Today is Easter Sunday, which means people from vastly different backgrounds will gather in congregations around the world, some having never been in a Christian church before, uh, others have grown up in church and been in church their whole life. Yet one of the common denominators we all share, and some philosophers actually call it the fundamental reality of life that we share together, uh, is, is none other than uh, suffering, the pain and suffering that we experience in in, um, in this place. Though no two people suffer identically because each person is unique, uh, we, we don't get out of here unscathed. We all suffer a plenty. What I'd like to talk about this morning, you know, many Easter sermons are devoted to trying to prove to you that the resurrection actually happened and you know, show the credibility of the gospel accounts and so forth. But what I would really like to do is, for the sake of argument, assume that it happened and consider what difference does it make if it happened. And in particular, how what difference does a resurrection make in helping us manage our suffering? Now, some of you, you hear that question and you think, well, that's simple. It's awfully simple. The difference that it makes is that we get to go to heaven when we die. You know, I I get to uh, be resurrected at the end of time and you know I get to escape this world of pain and suffering Paul in our passage this morning argues a little differently he says he says these things we are all jars of clay we are all meant to house inside of ourselves a priceless treasure and that treasure is is the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. See, for Paul, the resurrection was not a pie in the sky when you die, some future life beyond the grave. It was, it was something that was already part of his experience. And I think that's a neglected aspect of Easter. We, we normally don't talk about uh, Easter inside of us today, but, but to have Christ inside of us that is what makes all the difference, and that's what actually propels us further up and deeper in uh, as we're journeying, journeying through uh, some very difficult times. So let's look at it together. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. But not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So so then... Death is at work in us, but life is at work in, he's talking here, uh, in you, the church. As it is written in Psalm 116, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Well, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you, God, for your word. Jars of Clay was the name of my favorite band in college, a 1990s acoustic, acoustic rock contemporary Christian music band. Um, I've never been a very big CCM fan. Uh, those of you who know me know I love Christian rap. Um, but Jarves of Clay was a good band, and and it's an even better metaphor. It's a profound metaphor. Instead of being told over and over again Always how awesome you are and how you are the greatest thing that has ever walked the face of the earth and how you can accomplish anything if you set your mind to it. Paul has this description of us. He says, you're just a clay pot. You're a, you and I are the earthen Tupperware of this world. Um, and that is the human condition. The image, if you step back and think about it, it, it evokes lots of different um, ideas. I mean, for them, clay pots were what you just stored everything in. So your wine, your water, your grain, it was, they were ubiquitous. And in fact, when archaeologists excavate the ancient world, you know, the number one thing they find in archaeological digs are the shards from clay pots because they were so ordinary. It speaks also to the fragility of our human condition. He says that we are clay pots. We're not titanium steel. Uh, and um, the, yeah, clay pots break easily. I mean, we're one brain aneurysm from going pop away from leaving this world as we know it. I think the primary reason he chose clay pots as his metaphor, clay pots... You think of the uh, orange pots that people plant their plants in. You know, those things, if you look at them, unless you've just brought it back home from the store, they always have cracks in them. They're always discolored or they're chipped. And I think one of the reasons, the main reason, why he uses this metaphor is because he, he's he's saying, "This is me. This is me. I am this cracked, chipped earthen vessel." I am not a charismatic personality. I'm not a great public speaker. Uh, His critics pointed out his his personal inadequacies and his flaws and said, you know, really, why should you even listen to this guy? Because this guy has suffered an awful lot. I mean, how can God be with somebody who has, as he says later in his letter, endured imprisonments and beatings? He goes on, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And his critics, they were like, what's wrong with this guy? Surely if God is with you, then he's going to protect you. I've been sailing the Mediterranean all my life, and I've never been shipwrecked. This guy's been shipwrecked three times. (laughs) What's the matter? And he admits it all. He says, I am a chipped and cracked clay pot. It's not an easy thing to be. How does it feel to go through this life With that kind of fragility. Well, he answers that question in verse 8. He says, This is what it's like inside my soul. I feel hard pressed. Uh, I feel perplexed. I don't understand why things are so hard. I feel persecuted. I feel struck down. I I think he feels. The same kinds of things that we feel. I don't, none of us probably entered into this life thinking that it was going to be easy, but we, we thought it'd be probably easier than it is. <laughs> none of us expected to go through unscathed, but, but it's fun, kind of funny. We, we are surprised by suffering. You go back and read the journals and diary entries of people who lived 150, 200 years ago, and those people, they never, they weren't surprised. They kind of expected it. They never complained about their suffering. But we modern people, we are surprised by it. And these are all the things that he felt are the same things that we feel. It's hard going through life as a clay pot, as a jar of clay. Let me give you an example of this, a sad example. David Brooks of the New York Times wrote an interesting column a few years back He put out an invitation to all of his readers age 70 or older to please write a letter to me and tell me about your experiences of life. Tell me about the things that you have learned through your time in this world and I will publish some of your personal stories. So one of the letters he received back was from a man by the name of Charles Snelling. Charles Snelling said that he had lived something of a charmed life. He had married a woman he really loved. Her name was Adrian. They had five kids. He said for fifty five years we were married, and she took care of me in every way she possibly could for fifty five years. Then about six years ago, she was diagnosed with alzheimer 's, and the tables flipped. She had been taking care of me, and now I became the caretaker and provided care for her and he said he said it 's not noble it 's not sacrificial." It's not even painful. It's just the right thing in, in the scheme of things. And he goes on. I, I felt. I feel so ennobled by this experience. He described it. His caring for his wife as is redemptive. It, it's not sacrificial. It's just ennobling. He said people in my family would have said ten years ago they never would have believed that I could have stayed and loved Adrian the way that I have over over these last few years. She writes this beautiful letter into the New York Times and David Brooks publishes it and receives all kinds of positive accolades, congratulatory comments, and then four months later, news breaks that Charles Snelling killed his wife and killed himself. He said, the pain was too much and I'm quitting his family put out a statement afterwards that says, while we don't excuse what he did, we know he acted out of deep devotion and profound love. And David Brooks concludes the whole thing this way. If you look at life through the calculus of autonomy, maybe Snelling made the right call. Maybe his moments of pain, his and Adrian's moments of pain going forward, would have outnumbered their moments of pleasure. But is that the calculus we were meant to live by? i I think that nothing exposes more of what 's inside of a human being than pain and suffering, and suffering has a way of just showing the holes and, and pointing to something that that is inside. What is inside is it just is it black darkness is it just sheer pain is it what Paul says is that you 're a jar of clay. And this is the thing that is supposed to be inside. Buddha, for example. Maybe you could say the Buddha lives in the lives of his followers through his teachings today. And that's the way that he's connected to his followers. You might say the same thing about Mohammed. But Jesus lives in his followers in a way different from all the other religious figures of this world. Paul believed that the one we celebrate this Easter, the resurrected Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is alive inside of you and every believer. And part of the advantage, he would say, of being a clay pot is you get cracked up and you get so many holes inside of, uh, in you, that you can actually see through and see this Jesus who is inside. 2 Corinthians 13.5, this is how he concludes the letter. He says, don't you realize this about yourself? Jesus Christ is within you. You know, I mean, by that, it doesn't. he's not denying the fact that Jesus is in heaven, that Jesus is resurrected in a body there. Um, but this is a way we're not accustomed to, to think. Most Christians, myself included, are more accustomed to think of Christ as a Savior outside of you rather than one who dwells within you and has united his resurrected life to your own. Well, we probably sang in Sunday school about how Jesus lives in my heart. We sang that when we were kids. But for the most part, our primary understanding of the gospel is that Jesus accomplished something long ago on a cross and outside a tomb. And we really don't think all that much about Jesus Christ within me. But if he is in you... Then I don't think this is—it's preacher hyperbole to say that that is the most amazing news you're ever going to hear in this life. This guy that we celebrate today—he's in you. Come on, what—it's amazing. So I'm a big sucker for underdog sports movies. Um, I love them. And they're the only kind of movie that I ever cry over. Uh, I cry during Hoosiers, and I cry during Seabiscuit. And, and one of the best underdog sports movies is Rudy, which is based on the true story of a young man who was so devoted to Notre Dame football. That was his mistake. but <laughs> <laughs> And he wanted nothing more than to play for the, for the uh, fighting Irish. Yet he's Rudy. I mean, Rudy's not the name of a tailback, is it? (laughs) He's a walk-on, undersized, too small, too slow. But he practices harder, and he works harder than anyone else on the team. And at one point in the film, the coach comes to him, he looks him in the eyes, and he says, I wish God would put your heart in my players' bodies. That's a great line. That is so true. That's what Easter says has happened. The same Jesus who overcame every temptation was perfectly obedient, that Jesus is in you now. The Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and healed the sick, he's in you now. The humble Jesus who was a servant and washed his disciples' feet, Again, that's not how we customarily think about Easter, and that's not customarily how we face our pain and suffering. But again, it's safe to say, you'll never hear something more amazing in your entire life if that is actually true. So I came up with three quick responses. To that there are three ways that I could imagine somebody would um, you know, talk back to me number one brad that 's very inspiring, and in theory, I agree with everything you have said. The only problem is uh, i don 't feel Jesus in me <laughs> like if there 's somebody living inside of me, why don 't i like, do I need to knock on my heart <laughs> who 's there i i don 't feel him. is anybody ever like that you know? Like, I don't feel Jesus inside. Um, What I'm comforted by is the fact that Paul doesn't assume we will automatically feel him inside of us. We don't, it's just not natural. We don't automatically feel his presence. He assumes, actually, that we would feel weak and powerless. That's why he prays this way for the church in Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to this. I pray that God will empower you with inner strength through Christ who makes his home in your hearts. I pray that your roots will grow down will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And I pray that you may have power to understand and to experience the love of Christ and that you will, made complete, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If you automatically felt all of those things, why would he need to pray that for you? It's because we don't. But we should. The Presbyterian branch of Christianity has tended to focus kind of on the intellectual side of our faith. I mean, like even when we were singing, death has died, love is won. And earlier, if we were Pentecostals, we would be out of our seats jumping and... Um, we, we tend to be very closeted, into, uh, shut down. We, we tend not to focus on the emotional and mystical and spiritual side of our faith. But I think if all you have is the intellectual side, that's not going to lead you all the way through pain and suffering. You actually should desire to feel more than that. He prays that you would know and you would feel the power of the resurrected Christ inside. He even calls it an all-surpassing power of God. And you should want to feel it. I mean, you and I are kind of like a guy living in a double-wide mobile home out in the plains of Texas who doesn't realize that there's a million dollars of oil underneath the land that he's owned. There's this great reservoir of power that's there that is underutilized because we are unaware of it. And so that's why Paul prays for experiential knowledge of that power, and so should we. Second, the knowledge that Christ, the resurrected Christ is in us, is one of the most powerful things that keeps us from despair. A number of you have said something like this to me in the past. This is the second second response. You've you said this, and I feel this. This is me. Um, here's who I am, and way out there is the man that God wants me to be. The person who... Uh, the man or woman he desires me to, de- to be, but between these two things is this like it feels like a, a chasm from the Shire to Mordor. I mean, it's it's so far out there, and there's just mountain after mountain, the Misty Mountains. There's rivers, and it's like I am never going to get there. That's what it feels like. Um, anybody ever feel that way? But if the resurrected life of Christ is inside of you. Yeah, you will. You will cross those those rivers. You will climb those mountains. You will, not because of the power of positive thinking, but you will because Christ is in you. I'm not suggesting that it's, easy, it's ever going to be easy. Some, this is a good analogy. Somebody said the Christian life is kind of like you're playing with a yo-yo while you're walking up the stairs. <laughs> you're yo-yoing back and forth, up and down, But by God's grace, you're walking up the stairs. Your overall direction is that you will climb. It will not be easy, but you will if he's in you. Now, this involves a very different way of living, and I'll give you an everyday example of uh, why this is difficult. Uh, What we're saying is that there's another person inside of you. You know, when a married couple, when a couple is married, one of the hardest parts of marriage is learning to replace the word I with the word we as the primary frame of reference but of course you have to have that to have a good marriage. Um, It can be hard to embrace the fact that it's no longer you. I happen to believe that one of the reasons uh, our millennial generation delays marriage until the late 30s is because they're just really not ready to make that switch from from I to, to we and to you. And similarly, when Christ comes to dwell inside of us, our sense of self must necessarily change. The I that I'm so accustomed to being at the center of me must be displaced. It becomes we and then especially becomes He. It's, it's He. And if we learn to, to draw upon like move the eye out of the way and draw upon he, then that is a game changer, and it ensures that we will will make it on that journey thirdly, and the final response I wanted to touch on is maybe the super optimistic approach. Somebody will say, well, since I have Christ's spirit inside of me, that should make me the happiest person in the world, shouldn't it? Um, Maybe you've heard some version of this before. Christians, we go around with these long faces, but we shouldn't do that. We we ought to be the happiest people in the town. We got got God. We got forgiveness. We got this reality. We should just be, you know, don't worry, be happy. Notice how Paul describes what it's like to have Christ inside a clay pot. Verse 8. There's an element of psychological realism in his description. He says, when you suffer, even with Christ inside of you, you still feel hard-pressed on every side. You still feel perplexed. You still feel persecuted, struck down, but but you're not crushed. Because Christ is on inside. You're not in complete despair. You're persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed. He says, outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly, because Christ is there, we are being renewed day by day. I think of the prevalence of support groups today. There are support groups for cancer patients, for parents who have lost children, for families of addicts. Why are these support groups so manifold and helpful? There is a great deal of comfort that can be found in the presence of others who have suffered in similar ways. The best comforters are those who experience similar loss and pain that we do, but know how to get through it. And what Christianity offers to you is a community that is psychologically real, that that knows how it feels to be like this, but also shares upon the same resource, Christ, to get you through. And it's not the power of positive thinking. It's not don't worry, be happy. It's tapping into and drawing into this one who is the greatest treasure. I'll conclude with this. Rankin Wilburn is a pastor in Los Angeles who wrote a, a great book on the topic that I've been speaking on this morning, Union with Christ. Uh, so he's in LA. I think he's kind of like in the Beverly Hills area. But he said, I have a friend who is Mickey Mouse. who Somebody who gets to put on the Mickey Mouse costume at Disneyland. And she says, what an experience that is. How, think about that. How cool that would be. You, you get to be When somebody sees you, their face lights up. Kids immediately smile. They run up and they hug you. Everybody, for the most part, likes you. Um, And it seems to me that that's kind of the way that most of our fantasies work. There is an I who is housed in this—I want to be housed in Clayton Kershaw. You know, I, I want to be the guy. I want me and Clayton Kershaw pitching Game 7 of the World Series. Or you, maybe you do it with your favorite band. There's I, and I dream about being housed in this musician. I, I inside of the thing that I've always wanted to be. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? But that's just a dream. Maybe what you've been missing in your life is this reality. That it, it is not... I inside somebody, but it's Christ inside me. That's the reality that's greater than the dream. I mean, you can't change the fact that you're a jar of clay, and if you think you're bulletproof at the age of 20, promise, you won't be by the age of 60. Uh, You are going to be frail. You're going to be inadequate. But it also means that you get to hold something, The thing about all the cracks that you end up accumulating in this life is they expose what's on the inside. And what he says is on Easter Sunday, invite me in. I want to replace the darkness with the resurrected glory of my son. I want to replace the pain with the stability and strength of my son. Instead of saying, no, no, I'll just remain as I am, He says, you can choose to invite me in and to draw strength from my son and you'll be strengthened by him. What what I find is most people are just satisfied living with the familiar when there's something more wonderful being offered them. Even if we're not particularly happy with our lives, at least they're familiar. And so we decline to uh, embrace something that's new. This is Easter Sunday. Today is a day... For something new. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is of God and not from us. And that's what he desires, to come and reside, reside in you. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. This is a simple prayer of faith that you may wish to pray Let's pray. Oh, God, I am ready for new. I am ready to confess that Jesus is Lord, believing his claims to be the Son of God and the one who forgives my sins. And Lord, I ask that you would please come and dwell inside me. I pray that I would know and I would feel the power of your resurrected life inside of me. Raise me to new life on this day, the day that we uh, celebrate your resurrection. Make your life carry me through the sufferings of tomorrow. And I ask this in your son's name, amen.